It's Monday, October 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Markerman. Happy Monday, gents. Happy Very happy Monday. Monday to you, too. The sun is shining out there. The sun is shining. It's kind of a nasty we weekend. We survived Hurricane Joaquin. South Carolina took the entire brunt for everyone. They really did. They really insane, did. man. I mean, we had some people asking about it. I thought, you know, I stared down Hurricane Hugo in 1989. And I looked at Joaquin, Chris, and I said, don't you even think about yeah, it. You're no Hugo. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I'm sorry for all those people in South Carolina. They're, it really they're, sucks. They're I mean, really got dumped My down. buddy's trapped down there. He had a wedding in Charleston, and Ouch. they closed like 70 miles of I-95. I believe Yikes. it. Yeah. I mean, at Sullivan's Island, I saw a picture of Sullivan's Island, which is kind of you know on the other side of like the Isle of Palms. Um, when you get out that direction, and I mean, there was some really heavy flooding out there. I mean, it's just a really it's, it's a tough place to have storms. Yeah. Kind of like the Outer Banks of North Carolina, just really open, low lying, and yeah. Well, cool. yeah, and particularly on those islands where you've got the one access road, yeah. and mm-hmm. if that gets flooded, then guess what? You're staying on the island. That's right. <laughs> Better have those pop darts. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're going to talk Tesla Motors. We are going to say goodbye. Good riddance to American Apparel, and we will dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with Twitter, because Twitter finally made it official. Jack Dorsey being confirmed as the CEO by the board of directors. Adam Bain as the chief operating officer. You got to be happy. These are these sure. are your guys. You've everybody, been, everybody likes certainty, right? Yes. Well, and stock <laughs> up because the market hates uncertainty. And finally, the board of directors made this happen and you've been talking about this for a while you got your boys in place here I think so yeah I mean I I, I think they got the right guys there we you know we own shares of Twitter in in million dollar portfolio and we've always kind of seen it as a a very a, something with a lot of potential that was that was really just not being led you know to to realize its fullest potential and and I like having Jack Dorsey in there as a founder as a product guy as someone who really you know, built this thing from the ground up and knows knows all about it. I, I, um, I it just it just makes more sense having someone like that with, with a little bit more at stake and a bit more of a passion in the business and really getting a bit more of a traditional sort of a leadership structure there. I think Adam Bain is going to be a really an excellent uh, you know number two guy there uh, to to help serve Jack, particularly as he is going to stay as the he's going to remain as the CEO of Square, the payments business he founded. Um, and then you'll keep Anthony Noto as the CFO. Interesting to note some board shakeup there as well. Um, former CEO Dick Costello is resigning from the board. Uh, there is going to be some more board shakeup here, but it's also uh, they're going to they're going to split the chairman and CEO roles. So whereas Jack Dorsey was the chairman of the board, now that he's CEO, he's not going to be the chairman of the board. So the board's now looking for another external member. Um, and, and this all kind of leads me to believe that at some point, Evan Williams will become the chairman of the board, which really, that's the trifecta. That's kind of what we were hoping for, is, is to have another co-founder in Evan uh, there as chairman of the board, really helping to lead a board that up until now, I think I said something on this week's Motley Fool Money to the extent that they were more or less sitting on their thumbs, and that really is more or less what they've been doing. I mean, they yeah. just don't seem to have been doing they much at all. They should check up the board. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, they, they should and they are. And I think that's really encouraging. And so, uh, you know, I, I I mean, hats off to to the board, the current board, in being able to see past the line in the sand that they drew, initially saying that they needed someone who was only going to commit to just the one business because it became apparent through the extensive process that not only 
do not only do the big investors in Twitter really feel like Jack Dorsey's the guy for this job, but but uh, it it seems that the employees there at the business really do want want to work for him as well. And and I mean, you know, we look at Glassdoor ratings, and I always take those things with a grain of salt. But but I mean, it is you know it's worth noting. I think he has a hundred percent approval rating on Glassdoor with with a number of reviews. And and just generally speaking, the the uh, the workforce there really likes him. Um, and another thing I think a lot of people forget is Jack also is a member of the board of Walt Disney. And, and it's just an interesting kind of point of view there, because we always talk about Twitter as an acquisition target, and Google would be the normal acquisition or the normal acquirer there. So, I mean, I don't think we're going to see an acquirer there, but just seeing Twitter as a media business, seeing seeing Jack as a member of the board at, at Walt Disney, sort of the connections there, I think maybe there will be some, some benefit to that uh, down the road here as they sort of find their way. I think so, and I, I think it's really smart that they're separating the chair and the CEO. But as great as the certainty is, and I'll grant you everything you said about Dorsey and his team in this role, this is also a guy who's spread kind of thin. I mean, the fact that he's CEO of a company that's about to go public, mm-hmm. the fact that he's on Disney's board, not that that is... I'm assuming a huge demand on his time, but it is a it is a slight demand. So so while I do think that this is all this is all positive news for Twitter, I also feel like the clock is, has started to tick now. Like now we can start the clock, and whereas normally Taylor, I, I think you get a new CEO in any company, well give them two three years to to sort of get things done. I feel like. I feel like Jack Dorsey has less time. No, I agree, and especially because he's been the interim CEO since July, and you saw the results come out of the second quarter. No user growth in the United States quarter over quarter from Q1 to Q2, so we'll see third quarter what he's done as an interim CEO, and like you said, the clock is ticking, but I think he's got some good momentum. I mean, since he's been there, they've done some pretty innovative things from a perspective of a Twitter employee shaking things up there. Um, you've got the the while you were away, updating people on things that they might have missed, popular tweets, um, Project Lightning, I guess they're going to come out with possibly this fall. But I think that kind of copies a little bit of Snapchat stories where you're, you're, you're highlighting trending stories and kind of putting them in a bucket so that people can access them a little easier. A couple acquisitions, too, for, for ad advertising, either targeting users based on things that they've searched with the, the Telepart acquisition or the uh, the acquisition of Niche, which kind of aligns brands with creative marketers around the world to create more socially uh, geared ads. So they've, they've made some changes here. They've added a few different small businesses, and I think ad monetization is something that they've obviously been focusing on. So he's got some pieces in motion that I think started with him and they're going to continue to roll out. And, and I, for everything I've read, employees kind of feel a little bit more liberated with him giving them the option to shake things up because, um, you know, you come into a startup, maybe you, you think that things are the status quo, but with one of the, the co-founders there coming back and saying, we need to do some new things here, uh, changing up the 140 characters possibly as well. So, I think that employees feel a little bit more freedom to to move around and do some new things. Yeah. What's, uh, I was just, just going to ask, what's um, what's something to look for in the next few months? I mean, I I, I I don't own shares, and yet I, as I said, I look at Dorsey and I think he's he's being given pretty much whatever he needs to run this company. As we've talked about before, he's coming into a a pretty good 12-month period in terms of 
things that drive Twitter when you think about a U.S. presidential election and the Summer Olympics. So mm-hmm. the, the, the table is set for a pretty nice year. What's one metric you're going to be watching, maybe over the, if not over the next 12 months, then then certainly in the near term. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I do agree. I think I think Jack has probably less time than maybe someone coming in with less familiarity in the business, and I think that's okay. I think you know we we know that Wall Street is going to be looking at monthly active users. They're just going to look at that metric as a sign of of what's going on. I think it'll be very interesting to see. How they do, what kind of a job they do in sort of communicating the value of Twitter. That's really one of his main priorities: is better communicating the value that Twitter offers. And I think a lot of that goes beyond just that that sort of MAU metric that that Wall Street is constantly looking for quarter in and quarter out. You know, at the end of the day, we know they're going to be coming out with some big product innovations for not only Twitter but Vine and Periscope. It's worth noting that Vine and Periscope are still two properties that have yet to even uh, monetize in, in any capacity. So for me, I mean, beyond just the MAU numbers, I mean, I, I just I look for the money. This is a top line story, plain and simple, right? I, I'm less concerned with with MAUs and more concerned with the actual money at hand here because. You know, it could be argued that Twitter has a much more, while it's a smaller user base, it's obviously a very engaged user base to a degree, and and they've gone from zero to more than two billion dollars in sales in the course of five years. So they're doing something right with with a smaller uh, uh, revenue base. And so I think, you know, beyond just that MAU number, you know, look for that product innovation and see how that product innovation is playing out on that revenue top line number. That'll be a very good sign of uh, of, of whether they're seeing success or not. And I think that. Clock is ticking from Wall Street. I don't think internally that the clock is ticking no. on him right away because they're not going to abruptly switch right after making him yeah. full-time CEO after having nobody there really for an extended period of time. Tesla Motors reported their deliveries for the third quarter: eleven thousand five hundred eighty vehicles. That's up almost fifty percent year over year. Um, but just for twenty fifteen, they've delivered thirty-three thousand vehicles. They had Stated a goal of fifty to fifty-five thousand. They they kind of need a kind of need a big final stretch here. They do, and uh, j- unveiling a new vehicle, I don't think is going to necessarily help existing vehicle sales. But they came out with a splash with this Model X. It's a pretty interesting looking vehicle. Um, some functionalities that I don't necessarily think are necessary. I mean, they, they're touting like the biohazard carbon filter for yeah. the for the HVAC unit and. The the gold wing doors, um, but they're only in the rear seats. I don't know why you would want the rear seats to have gold wing doors and not the not the driver's seats. But um, you know, the company has vehicles unlike any I've ever personally seen. They're they're fast. They're all electric. They they're technologically sound, um, and I think they're the future of vehicles. So while I while if they don't hit that fifty thousand mark this year. I'm not too personally worried about the future of Tesla because it is such an early stage. They have tons of excess capacity to build out vehicles in the future. And the user base, they're fan fanatics. I mean, people that have Teslas or people that in, that are fans of Tesla are crazy about it. So it's something that you don't necessarily see. You used to see that with car brands, and then they just kind of became more homogenous. And I think that you know when you have a brand like Tesla and people behind it and supporting it vocally and publicly that um one one year this early in the game i don't know if it's going to really impact them moving forward yeah if there's any winner in the whole volkswagen emission scandal mm-hmm. 
you got to figure it's Tesla Motors. I'm not saying it's it, everyone I'm, but Volkswagen. Right? <laughs> well, and diesel, just diesel See, cars in general. I don't think yeah. it is everyone but Volkswagen. I think Ooh. I think that that other automakers, uh, and I've talked to a couple of people who who work in the auto industry, and and it's definitely and you know not to pick on Volkswagen, but but anytime there's a a major automaker with some sort of significant recall problem, whether it was GM with the ignition switch or you know. Uh, was it Toyota had the acceleration, the mm-hmm. sudden acceleration, that kind of thing? It's you know, it, it's basically the automakers look at at whoever that automaker is, the way that other countries in the EU look at Greece, and they're just like, oh come on, <laughs> come on, now why are you gonna put us back in the public? You. you know, I, you know and I, so and and you know, Tesla Motors, they're like. You know what we we got ninety nine problems, but emissions ain't one. Well, I saw a clever little ad. It was this Tesla sitting on a pristine beach, the sun setting, and it said the only emissions test you'll ever need. Nice. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Tesla. What they're doing, I think that you know Tesla like Solar City, uh, is that these are investments that really do require looking really really far out. I mean, you've got to, as a shareholder, you've got to look at these and think, okay, man, this is something that is going to take legitimately. 10 to 20 years to really have any kind of a material impact on on kind of the way things are going because I mean to your point you know about about Volkswagen shortcomings the the one thing Tesla has going against it right now I mean this Model X for example I mean that that's like a $100,000 car right and so I mean I, there apparently are people out there that will buy a $100,000 car but I mean that that is a big hurdle I think for for most people and and so it's not like all of these other automakers are just sitting around doing nothing I mean Ford has the electric focus Nissan's got the Leaf I mean Prius is obviously not all electric but it's certainly emissions friendly so to speak so there are other vehicles other vehicles out there that that you can you can get to sort of help you know going in that direction but um it, to me, I, I just feel like with with Tesla, like the one thing with the Model X, I just I don't really think that's a very good looking car. Like if I'm going to pay one hundred twenty thousand dollars for a car, I just kind of want it to look a little bit nicer <laughs> than a bloated Prius, right? Because that's what it looks like. And, I mean, inside the passenger big doors, X-wing the Taylor doors mentioned, or whatever, those, those are all cool, but they're unnecessary. Well, like, you can't even have a roof mean, rack on this thing because of the going <laughs> door. And an SUV a without a roof rack, like, panoramic windshield. I mean, I'm not knocking it. I like the technology, everything behind it, but I feel like maybe the car is lacking aesthetically a little bit. Um, but, but generally speaking, I mean, I, I do fully agree. Tesla's got a rabid fan base. Love what they stand for. Love what they're doing. I just think investors in Tesla, you know, you really have to do acknowledge that this is going to be something that you're going to watch play out over many, many, many years to come. American Apparel has filed for bankruptcy, and I'll just read directly from uh, uh, the Wire story I saw. The company has been fighting to stay afloat amid struggling sales and a protracted legal battle with founder and former CEO Dove Charney. Here's the most surprising thing to me: is that American Apparel, according to their most recently uh, most recent filing, still has more than 200 stores. Yeah, I thought this. I, I mean, I knew <laughs> they weren't bankrupt, but I'm surprised that they're as had as big a footprint as they apparently have. Well, I saw that they're the largest apparel manufacturer in North America. Uh, at least that's what they put in their own. Uh, well, yeah. Own. So that was one of Charney's big things was really you know focusing on we're going to make stuff that's it's made, vertically integrated you know, and yeah, yeah and it's made here yep. in the USA. He's from Canada. He's um, uh, 
but he, he was very big for Made in the USA. But but he was big for other things as well, as evidenced by the what half a dozen sexual harassment suits yeah. that that he faced, you know, over the last. Well, even the company years. has a restraining order against him now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like we were talking about with Alcoa, where it's like, look, if you you never want to hinge on one metric, but. If a company is splitting and the CEO is going with one of the spinoffs, yeah. you know that's one. Yeah, I, the same sort of thing. If you know, if if you're interested in a stock and you find out that uh, the CEO has a bunch of sexual harassment suits against him, that that might be uh, that might where you just go. You know what? Doesn't need to be on my watch list anymore. Well, no, and I mean, what's that? Mike Mike Jeffries, the um, the embattled. There's uh, it Abercrombie Abercrombie Fitch, and Fitch, uh, yeah. former CEO. Um, I mean, yeah, with American Apparel, this is a this is a Chapter Eleven, which is a reorg, um, which means they're going to keep, I think, about 150 of their stores. And with the debt holders, they're going to be doing a debt for equity swap. So they're they're you know, if you're a debt holder, I mean, the way you know bankruptcies work, equity holders basically get wiped out. Debt holders are higher up on the ladder, so they get something out of it at least. Who knows what that's going to be ultimately? Because they you know, however they decide to reorg and whatever they decide to do as far as rebranding or or what have you. I mean, again, it's it seems like their problems go beyond just clothes. And and I mean, you know, with a, with a founder, I mean, sexual harassment lawsuits tend to kind of stick with you for a while. If you're looking for a screen on antithesis of fool stocks, <laughs> this is right up there at the <laughs> yeah, top. Absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter at Market Foolery is our handle. Got a question on Twitter from Fred Wyand. Uh, Should a portfolio ever hold competitors? I'm torn between Amgen and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, but what the hey? How about both? I like the question. What it's, the hey? What the hey? That's a decent one. Do you guys have competitors in either of your portfolios? Um, so I, I would say I, there's there's the obvious one out there. I get the question all the time about should I own Under Armour or Nike. Um, my daughters own both. I don't think there's any reason not to own both because they're, the world is plenty big enough for both to, to do okay. Um, and, and, and over time, they've both proven to be very lucrative investments. I think another uh, good example, to, to a, a lesser degree, but, but still similar. I mean, we, we always see you know, Google being pitted against Apple, and, and I think that's, you know, Apple is a bit more obviously hardware uh, dependent than Google is, but but still, they are they are competing for a share of our pocket, right? I mean, you either have an Android device or an Apple device, and I think there would be room in a portfolio for both of those, although they're not necessarily as direct. Um, so yeah, in in many cases, I think there's there's plenty of room for that. And I think you know, in in looking at biofarms or any kind of of you know, healthcare related stocks, I think more than anything, that's where you really have room for competitors because it's hard to it's hard to pick the winners in, in that kind of a game. Um, especially those smaller sort of, of bio bio biofarm plays. And so you buy like a basket of them and say, well, they're all kind of doing their own thing, but they're all competing in that same market. Uh, you get a little exposure to all of them and you can do okay. But but yeah, I think definitely there's room for uh, competitors in the portfolio. Well and one of the things I like about Fred's question is it gets at the idea that we talk about from time to time, which is that um, investing is rarely a zero-sum game yeah. in any given mm-hmm. industry. In fact, in most every industry, there's going to be more than one winner. Yeah, and I think the key what you said was the world is big enough for both. When you're looking at competitors, you want to look at the industry 
first and foremost, because if there's only room for one, then why bother looking at both of them? Because one of them is going to lose. But the industry is big enough, and uh, it doesn't have to be the whole world that they're addressing, just their specific world. If that's big enough for both of them to have an impact, then... Sure. And I think that in some cases, we get to, and you touched on this, Jason, we get to degrees of competition. Coke and Pepsi, that's as head-on a competition right. as you're going to see. Um, but when you look at pharmaceuticals, um, I would argue even to a, to a lesser degree. I mean, if you if you think of it in percentage terms, Coke and Pepsi are going at each other a hundred percent, and they're yeah. arguably in industries in decline. So then you really yeah. have to be careful about which Whereas way you're going with that. Under Armour and Nike, I would say that's uh, somewhere <laughs> below a hundred percent. Maybe it's eighty percent. Maybe it's seventy five. Something like that. But um, you know, they're they're not. Under Armour is not trying to do absolutely everything that Nike right. is trying to do. Exactly, and I mean another good example I think is we get we always get the questions about um, about the payment providers. You know, looking at Visa, Mastercard, American Express, which one's the best? Which one you know should should I buy stock in? And, and I I mean they're all good. I mean Mastercard and Visa pretty much have like just a stranglehold on that market. American Express uh, you know to a lesser degree but still I I am of the school of thought that hey, I mean buy a basket of all three mm-hmm. of those instead of trying to pick the winner, they're all going to be winners. They're all very reputable brands, well-managed businesses in a in a growing industry, you know, as as you know electronic payments uh, continue to grow around the world, they buy buy a little bit of all three and just participate in the general move. When we talk about investing mistakes, uh, one of the ones that is always on my list is is never buying Visa. Oh, like for all, I, I I can't count the number of times in this room and outside of this room talking with Jeff Fisher, one of the smartest people we got at this company when it comes to analyzing businesses, and just listening to Jeff talk about Visa, and I understand everything he's saying and I just nod and then for whatever reason just never click the buy button on that one. That's your problem. You gotta stop talking about it on the air. You can't you can't buy it. You know what? Let's end this thing. <laughs> Thanks for being here guys. Thank you. As always people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.